Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. House of Pod. I'm Kabe. Joining me today is not Lizzie. Literally at the last minute, and I mean literally at the last minute, I asked my friend Mark Gasway to fill in for Lizzie because she had some work obligations keeping her from the show. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This is actually your second appearance on the show. Thank you for coming back on the show. Oh, that's true. I was about to make a joke. Hey, thanks for having me. Longtime listener, first time host. But you're right. I actually have been on the show before. Yeah. Will you tell people about that episode? Uh, yeah. In the middle of uh, in the middle of quarantine, House of Pod did a two parter. Uh, it was two different episodes. It was that was just about uh, people's, I guess, people's sex lives or dating lives during yeah. the quarantine. Yeah, and both. There one was day that was, uh, I think it was three women mm-hmm. on one of the days, and it was three men on on. Uh, the other day and I was one of the men you're one of the men yeah yeah has anything changed since we last spoke are you married oh I thought what you were asking was am I still one of the men or have I become <laughs> one of the women I mean I'm no, looking no, no. at I, you I, I'm, I'm sticking to my gun so to okay speak. <laughs> you're sticking with this man thing are you sure yeah there's a like lot of drawbacks line for me so far so <laughs> I'm sticking with it. all right well we're not alone today we have two special guests joining us to give us the the youth perspective. The listener can't hear this, but I'm actually sitting backwards in a chair trying to vibe right now because we mm-hmm. got two young people, Mark. Mm-hmm. Not like us. We got two, not old heads. We got young heads, I think they're called. We have, uh, first we'll start with just Cody. We're going to leave his last name out of this because he's still in a, uh, I think, a tender part of his training and probably doesn't want to risk anything which is reasonable and then we have on the other end someone who's readily available to share her name trisha pendergrast guys thank you so much for joining trisha let me start with you let me ask you where if you could tell us where you are in your stage of medical training um i am in my fourth week of my surgery clerkship so the third year of medical school you're you're in it you're, I'm in it. You're in it. And surgery generally is one of the harder rotations. So we appreciate you coming on because I'm sure your time is is very rare to come by these days. So I appreciate you coming on. 
Uh, Cody. Yep. What about yourself? I have just completed three years of internal medicine residency. Done out of state diploma, or I guess it's not a diploma, it's a certificate. Uh, already framed, uh, no more obligations there, and I'm going to uh, nephrology fellowship. Excellent. Uh, nephrology, Mark, you know, that is this kidney stuff. So they're like the smart doctors. It's not the sexiest like field. Like you don't go to a bar and like drop that you're a nephrologist with like that much success. It's not like being a pediatric cardiologist or I don't know, a gastroenterologist like myself. You know what I mean? It's like, but the kidneys are cool. And if you're like in the medicine world, you're like, oh, these guys are smart because they deal with like mathematics and shit. There's like equations and there's like acid based stuff. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about why you chose nephrology? It all started with the book. Um, I had like most med students in med school been terrified of the kidneys and I didn't really understand how they worked. Uh, I read the physiology textbooks over and over. You get weird stuff like countercurrent mechanisms and just, it's not clicking. And so I wanted to, I, I had a, I had a night month coming up and there's a little bit more downtime that month uh, than the regular month. So I asked for some book suggestions uh, on, on the kidney, uh, specifically non textbook, non, you know, paragraphs of you know, just science facts, but something with a little bit more narrative, because I think it's a little easier to learn. And uh, Joel Toff, uh, the Kidney Boy account, recommended uh, from Fish to Philosopher. And I, it, it's an incredibly unique book. It's not a textbook. It's not a monograph. It's not a pure work of science. It's just some kidney physiologist musing about the history of kidneys throughout the ages and their form, function, and relation to our physiology. And I got suckered into it, just just. I spent the whole month devouring it piece by piece. And at the end of that month, I was like, I, I got to do this for the rest of my life. Man. So what I'm hearing is that if I had got to you at that impressionable stage and recommended gulp by Mary Roach, you would have become a gastroenterologist. Like you were, you were ready. You were receptive. I don't want to disappoint you. The GI rotation was my least favorite rotation and residency okay we're cutting that <laughs> joel toff is actually he i read his um his book that he wrote in residency the that really helpful book i think that's the only reason why i passed my nephrology uh organ module nephrology is hard mark it's 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 not for me i respect those guys mad respect for for nephrologists what were you gonna say cody Oh, I was going to say, I think that uh, his his book, uh, that acid-based book he wrote, is available free uh, as a PDF download. It is, uh, and we're not getting paid to promote it. No, absolutely not. Uh, just go to his uh, blog and find it, search for it, Joltoff PDF free. So let me ask you another question. It's pretty obvious to me, but for our listeners that may not understand, why choose to be anonymous on social media as a doctor? particularly in training. Um, and then we'll ask, I want to ask Trisha why the opposite, why she's, she's not, but let me start Cody. Let me ask you why, why is it important to be uh, anonymous? Oh, because most of what I post wasn't really medicine. It was just glorified goofiness and shit posting and 
and just strange stuff. And I didn't want that coming back to me. Um, I, you know, everything you put on the internet, of course, you know, if somebody's diligent enough, you really can um, find it and then, uh, you know, identify who's writing it, but don't make it easy for them. Right. Uh, sure. You know, and, and at the early stages, I was incredibly careful to the point where people had no idea if I was a man or a woman, which kind of became a, a, a running joke. Uh, and I you know, considered that at least somewhat successful in, in keeping I, anonymous. I got to tell you, so I follow you on Twitter. I think you're really funny. We'll, we'll talk about your, both your Twitter profiles uh, later, but I, I think you're really funny and original and which... I mean, a lot of doctors and people in med Twitter and the medical social media world think they're funny and they're really just not. And you have, because what they do really, Mark, what happens with a lot of like doctors on social media is they find some sort of joke that's working well in another part of social media, like uh, some meme that someone else is using or some running joke. And then they try and co-opt it into a medical thing like what's your favorite diuretic and why is it Lasix? Something like that. It's not funny, and but people will get like clicks and likes. Yeah, it's like the, the Anakin and Padme meme, but uh, there's a joke about nephrology and the only people that are going to laugh are going to be nephrology. Oh, there were plenty of those. So many. So fucking many of those. <laughs> but, but Cody's Cody's Twitter profile is like genuinely funny and weird, and I like those two things a lot. Um, oh, but it's you. true. I didn't know... I, I didn't actually know for sure. So it was really, it's actually, this is the first time I'm actually seeing you. So it's actually pretty fun. So Trisha, you're online. You've written about being online. You've, you've talked mm -hmm. about, and last time you were here, actually, we talked about that quite a bit. Can you tell me why you made the decision to not be anonymous? So I made it. Why are you so much braver than Cody is what I'm trying to say? I don't think it's that. I mean, our, our accounts are a little bit different. So I actually made a decision uh, the year before I applied to med school to scrub all my social media accounts and build new ones. Um, because I mean, this is documented in the literature, but there are measurable professional benefits to having a social media presence in terms of research, in terms of promotion, in terms of mentorship. And that's especially women, important for women and um, especially important for women of color. Um, you know, and, and I've seen that unfold through throughout my having a Twitter in the form of, you know, get me PPE Chicago, um, which we talked about last time I was on the show, I could never have raised the money that I did if there wasn't a face, you know, and a trusted, uh, somewhat trusted presence, you know, behind th those asks. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also, I, I have the privilege of making visual abstracts for two journals and both of those opportunities arose from, from social media. So, I mean, there's, there are those measurable benefits. And then I think the other side of this coin is, yes, as a medical trainee, you know, a very small number of people hold our, you know, our future in their hands, like this delicate baby bird. Um, and that's really scary, but I think we have a lot of problems in medicine. Actually, I don't think, I know. We have a lot of problems in medicine because we have this one very strict idea about what a doctor should be and what professionalism is and how we define that. And so talking online about things like being, you know, being anxious and um, jokes about, you know, your friends and family and random pictures of you drinking a beer, um, those provoke 
like a reaction in some old school physicians. And that's complete bullshit, right? This is the reason why we have, you know, massive, you know, issues in the profession because we have this one tiny idea of what a medical professional can be. So I think part of, of having um, a social media presence is in essence sort of a rebellion against that idea of professionalism. And so like, like many people online, I will post a picture of me you know, making an alcoholic beverage, you know, I'm 28, I can do that. But you know, that might not be considered professional. Um, or I'll use a naughty word. And you know, all of these things make me human. And um, being a doctor, eventually will not make me any less human. Right. You know, something you kind of touched on there. Uh, is it my impression? Is this? Is this just me? Or do you think the same that the divide between younger people in medicine and older people in medicine is bigger than it has been in the past. I, I feel like at least online, there seems to be this real dichotomy or that, that younger people in medicine, medical training feel they, they are, they have something, a different experience, a much different experience than people that are older in medicine or that they have a different understanding of social media, at least, do you guys feel that? I mean, it's an interest. Social media is an interesting microcosm of the actual world of medicine itself. So we are in some ways removed from the traditional hierarchy of medicine. Um, and in other ways, we're really not. Um, I think it's less that there is this great divide between young people and old people on social media and more that you're seeing um, people who are, you know, traditionally excluded from medicine, people who don't have, you know, financial resources, these groups that don't necessarily feel included in the physical world of medicine turn to social media for a community. And so they find that community on Twitter, on Instagram, on wherever. Um, and so those groups share their experiences. And I think that's really surprising because, you know, medicine is still white and it's still, you know, a, high, a, a profession for people from high socioeconomic families. And so when people read that stuff online, they're surprised because they're saying, oh, I don't really hear this stuff from the medical students I work with. Well, you have a class of 163 and only three of those students are black. So of course you're not hearing this stuff from them because they're entrenched in this traditional hierarchy right right and there's so much weird power stuff that goes on with medicine that trainees don't feel comfortable probably saying those things mm -hmm. how much do you get there i mean if you're if you're still referring to a class where there's such a small percentage of people of color for example i mean i know there are other kind of cultural breakdowns but i, I was wondering as you were saying all of this like at what point does the old hierarchy stop being relevant and you know the the sort of like underdog twitter culture that you're talking about take over and become the mainstream culture because it sounds like i mean if if, if you have a, such a small percentage of you know minorities in medical school that it's it's not so much a oh those people are just old problem that it's you know those those people come from a you know from white culture or white male culture or something like that yeah, you're, you're discussing a very important fallacy in the way we perceive our current medical student classes, right? So yeah, our current classes are probably about as diverse as they've ever been, but the progress has been stagnant. The actual percentage of black men in medicine is on the decline. Um, the percentage of black women in medicine is slightly increasing, but not fast enough. 
And you can draw a direct line from that to black patients dying. You can draw a direct line, you know, to people who are not from low socioeconomic status to people dying rural, you know, there's real consequences for this stuff. So, um, you know, you're bringing up a really important point because I think people in medicine are like, oh, we're making such great progress. Like, look at our class. And then, you know, you see like the medical students will, the medical schools will turn this into like a branding opportunity, but um, it's not good enough. The progress is not good enough. And um, right now the, the culture is the same culture it's always been, you know, it's, it's the white men in charge and, and that it directly harms our patients. Cody, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, just kind of to, to go back to that uh, small, like let's say there's only one or two, two people in your class who are similar to you. Um, you're not going to form a group at your med school. You're not going to have a student group on there, but you can go on Twitter. And if there's two of these people in every med school, well, there's 150 med schools in, in, the, in the US. So that's 300 people. That's a sizable group uh, online presence. You can have a much more uh, effective organization uh, online that way. Uh, but it, like, yeah, the, the representation is increasing, but at a snail's pace and in spite of initiatives, not because of initiatives. I get to teach medical students and it's one of the great joys of my, my gig. But l- let me ask you, am I, if from looking at social media, then am I, it sounds like I'm getting the wrong impression of what medical school classes are, are like, I know that online, at least you guys are getting a lot of grief for being medical students being too woke. I mean, that's like a recurrent thing. Like there is that article from, what was her name? Barry Weiss? No, it was uh, Katie Herzog uh, writing on Barry Weiss's uh, Substack. Right. Okay. So there's this ongoing sort of, uh, I feel, criticism of younger medical students for being too woke. And that's like a, a bad thing in these people's perspectives. Yeah, we don't care about what they have to say. No. But let me ask you, though, <laughs> do you think do you think that you guys are outliers in your class? Or do you think this is where younger medical trainees are? Um, I don't think it is the standard, right? So you said something really important, right? You're getting an idea of um, medical students, you know, that experience from social media. And I want to reinforce what you're doing. I talked about this one a little bit. I think it was when I was on Explore the Space, how as medical lecturers, teachers, et cetera, you are exposed likely to the experiences of traditionally excluded underrepresented trainees, probably more on social media than you are when you are interacting with people in person. Um, I'm guessing people you know, are more candid online, et cetera. So you're doing the right thing by paying attention to what those trainees are saying on social media. All of us should be taking that opportunity to listen to those experiences that those trainees are sharing. That's really important. And I'm glad you're doing that. Um, I think in general, I, I don't think that medical students are all like incredibly liberal, at least in my experience, that's that's not the case. Yeah, absolutely not, no. Um, if they even think about it, it's, you know, maybe fourth or fifth most important thing after everything, all the responsibilities of just getting by through med school. I think very few people take an active presence during their medical training to, to address these issues. 
Okay, that brings up a listener question from the horrendous space kablooey <laughs> at my little victory. So that's the funny thing about reading like questions from people on Twitter. So <laughs> I have to try and be like semi-serious, like you know, interviewer in, in saying names like that. So this is this is a question that my little at my little victory has. This is probably a really broad question, but what are your hopes for the future of medicine? If you had your way, what's one thing you could change about how the medical system works right now? And I, I would say maybe if you want to focus that on medical training, that might make it a little easier. But if you have other thoughts, I'm, I'm happy to hear them. Is it real bad that my, my first reaction is I just want to get by? <laughs> no, you're in a really crazy situation and survival is the key right now. It's the fact that you guys are able to carve out some sort of meaning to your lives outside of medical school is very impressive. I think it speaks to both of you guys and the quality of your personalities. But if you could change one thing about training, as you experienced it in residency, Cody, and as you're experiencing it in medical school, Trisha, what, what would it be? Your hours. <laughs> Just... You know, I don't, I don't care if residency took five years, if I had reasonable work weeks to, to do it on, uh, you know, we, we, we stick by this traditional model of bring the most out of the residents as possible. Um, in, I think large part, because that's how it was always done, but I don't see a reason why we can't just pay us more, have us work less. Yeah, it sounds selfish, but the amount of work that we do is is in, incredible and not at all compensated the way any other industry would be compensated based on our responsibilities and on the amount of effort that we put in each each day, each week. Um, you know, of course, it's going to get some pushback, but that's my honest answer. I want to work less and get paid more. That's everybody's dream. Trisha, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, I, I agree. It's a different side of a coin. I mean, medical school should be free. Yeah. Um, right. You know, medical sc school should be free and um, it shouldn't cost, you know, five to $10,000 to apply to medical school. So, I, I mean, I know those are two things, but what this really comes down to is money. And it's this fundamental failure to invest in our people, um, invest in their health, invest in um, you know, their time and compensate, compensate them appropriately. Mark, does it surprise you to hear this sort of background into medical training, into the, the pressures and the difficulty of medical training? No, I mean, I've had, uh, I mean, my father's a doctor, my brother-in-law is a doctor, uh, my sister is a veterinarian, so she went through some kind of medical training, but it was for animals, but the, the pressures are all still the same, so that doesn't surprise me. I guess I, um, nobody ever gave me any kind of an explanation for why it is that the, the, the training, particularly the, um, the, the internship uh, and residency part of it was so grueling. And the only way that I could come up to it to explain it to myself was that it was kind of like Navy SEAL training, like hell week, that they were putting as much pressure on you as possible just to uh, make it so that your tolerance level, you know, could be as, as broad as possible. But honestly, I, 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 I don't even understand that because it seems like the way that you get the best work out of anybody is to make them ha like have a healthy relationship with their work. 
you know, how, who, who is ever going to, yeah. Who, who's yeah. ever really going to have, like, get the best out of themselves when they are, you know, bloodshot eyes working on like two hours of sleep in the past 48 hours. And it's dangerous. You don't want someone like that making medical decisions for you. But you the, the well-rested position. The response to that is going to be like, well, you're going to need to be prepared when you go and work in your real world, when you go to work in attending and you have 20 patients and you're on call for however many hours, like that just means in the real world, there aren't enough doctors and we need to train more and we need to expand our, our, our training capabilities. Right. Yeah. And then there's, there's a massive fallacy too, because I worked before going to med school. And so people are like, yeah, I'll say something like, oh man, like, I don't understand why I have to get in at 4.30 in the morning. I'm paying to work. And someone will be like, oh, you got to prepare for the world. Well, in the real world, um, I was paid. I made a decent amount of money. I could request time off as long as I did it in a timely fashion. Um, I was able to put an out of office message up and no one would contact me. Um, there were like reasonable expectations for my behavior, but I could also expect something from my employer. We don't really have that. Yeah. Cody, you you bring up a great point, which is like, you know, uh, people will defend it by saying that, you know, being an attending being, a out of school and training is hard. And it is, I mean, I'm working as hard right now as I have in, in some of the tougher parts of residency. So it's pretty tough. Um, but that doesn't mean that what I'm doing is perfect. <laughs> you mean, it doesn't mean that the job I, the, the medical system for attendings is great either. H- how much of what you guys um, are dealing with in response to this sort of discussion is we did it. Now it's your turn. I, I think that's all of it. I, I think that, <laughs> you know, the, the expectation is, you know, now you have to do it. Uh, I, I don't think there's any real um, introspection beyond that. It, it's 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 hazing. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. predicated on this assumption that the the real world, so to speak, is something that's immutable. You know, right. that it's that it's not going to be different ten years from now. Um, you know, or or even five years from now. That it's when, oh, this is how it's always been. Therefore, this is how it's always going to be. When, when was the first like real residency or internships? These, these things have, there are people who are older, I think, than, than the concept of residency that are still alive. <laughs> like, uh, have you guys heard of the crab mentality or like the crab theory? Yeah, it's when, you know, you can put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and none of them will get out because when the crabs see some starting to rise, they pull them down. So it's like the crab mentality with respect to trainees in medicine. We start asking for more and then we get pulled down um, because that's the way it's always been done. It's like crabs in a bucket. And then we're all stuck together in a really bad situation as opposed to building our way <laughs> Something out. Something better. I don't know. I never quite liked the, the crab mentality metaphor because, you know, assuming they can't just crawl up the side of a slick bucket wall, like, it probably means only a couple of them can get out. And then once you form the, the maximum pyramid of crap. Or they can all like go on one side and tip it over. Oh, okay. All right. That's I'm not, not as intuitive. Hey, but... you, you kids, I'm not willing to let the show go into some sort of weird crab physics theory, okay? <laughs> Let's keep it. Yeah, or the start of a med school mutiny where all of you band together and topple the... 
Or maybe yeah, that's exactly what this that's is. Oh, no. It's, it's we always, can't have that. There's always like one person. It's one person at different places all over. They keep them separated, just like they did with the unions. A big part of this, too, is like Halstead, you know, the guy who was one of the, the, the surgeons who was like a big part of like how, you know, residencies and internships and all that stuff were like formed, you know, was really into cocaine. That's <laughs> a big part of how residencies were formed. There's a guy really high on cocaine a lot who was like, what? Who needs to sleep? We need to well, work. Do well, this. That was that was one of our wellness uh, committee initiatives was to supply the residents <laughs> free uh, access to cocaine uh, during the long call shift. Mark's Mark's eyes lit up for a second there, <laughs> in great hope. Um, let let me switch gears a little bit here. Would you guys? You're in different stages. You know, Cody, you're just finished your residency there is probably this little sense of euphoria. You're about to start focusing on the one thing that you really want to do, which for some reason is the kidney. <laughs> Trisha, you're in the muck of it. You are elbows deep in holding retraction on three hour long surgeries that you probably don't have that much interest in doing. Would you guys do it again? Oh, absolutely. Um because I can, like I, 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 one, I've proven to myself that I can. Two, I've still got plenty of great opportunities that I want to do. Three, I, I survived, um, and it's really the only way to do what I want to do. Um, I didn't enjoy all of it. I don't think anybody enjoys all of it. But uh, to get where I am today, I kind of have to do it again. So yeah, I, I would. Trisha. I don't know. I think I need to get further in my training um, to be able to answer that question. It's not really fair to ask that question at certain points. It's not fair to ask it in the middle of a surgery rotation. It's not fair to ask it in the intern year. <laughs> it's okay. It's something, it's something I actually really worry about, you know, especially during dedicated when I felt like everything was like horrible all the time. I mean, dedicated, I mean, Mark, for your context, this is this two month period where we study for boards and students get incredibly depressed. And, you know, I had a handful of friends that had thoughts of suicide, like it's a really bad period. And I remember telling my partner, I really hope this is worth it. I'm scared that it's not because I'm worried that I get to the end of this road and I realize that this has all been for nothing, for something I don't want to do. And I, I should probably uh, clarify my answer. This is given in the context of uh, all the memories I have blacked out and uh, locked away in my mind that I no longer have access to. It's true. To some degree, you look back at it a little differently. Like when I look back now at uh, residency and internship and all, and all that, like I tend to, for probably defense mechanism, think about meeting some of my, my closest friends and some of the fun stuff we had that we did together all those times but it's kind of an interesting point that you guys bring up mark has known me since college he's known me since i was a pre-med and that's where it really starts you're like doing this pre-med stuff you're like your head is down you're so focused you're going through all these hurdles you're just running through brick wall after brick wall to get to where you need to go that you can't stop if you stop to think about whether or not this is the right move for you you lose momentum and then you're hosed you have to keep going. And then what happens is all of these medical students get into medical school, internship, residency. And then a lot of them are like, is this what I really want to do? 
is this, am I, this did I make the right decision I mean for me I think I I had to because I'm not like you I couldn't do the music thing didn't I don't have that ability so I didn't I didn't see a lot of other options for me but like I didn't have time to think about that you have to like really just be busting your ass the whole time to get to where you need to go mm -hmm. um it's a part of the process that is an issue I don't have a good answer for that it's good that you took a little time off though Trisha it sounds like you did something different not took time off but you did something different no, I, I was out for four years um and I would very highly encourage anyone to make to do that because um and part of that wasn't really by choice part of that was just you know life circumstances and things like that but for one it gives you some of your 20s back um like pragmatically, if you are working at a job for a couple years, you can save some money for retirement and then just like let that be. Um, and it just gives you a chance to experience something different. So I was actually talking about this today with the intern I was with. I did research, but I also worked at a bar. Um, I was a rape crisis counselor. So I would be paid to the emergency department to support victims of sexual assault. Um, and I kind of wish I would have done more things and sort of branched out, but I really, I think that was a really good thing. And yeah. I think more people should do that. I 100% I agree. I, I strongly recommend uh, if you have the opportunity to live a little before you do pursue med school. Um, I, I had a non-traditional path as well. I uh, started out in grad school of all places, uh, studying plant biology of all things. And uh, after about two and a half years decided that is definitely not the life for me. Uh, but to answer a question you asked earlier, would I do that again? I, I absolutely would because I, you know, I appreciated the experience. I learned something about myself that I never wanna be in, uh, in front of a workbench at a laboratory. Uh, but I still had a lot of great experiences. And when I one day sat down and, and calculated all my accounts and everything, realized I'd come out ahead about $500 uh, from grad school. So it, it's possible. You can do it. You can make yeah, money going to grad right. school. Big time, buddy. Big time. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> That's, but you guys are actually not the youthiest youths i could have had for that reason next time i'm getting youthier youths you guys are not really your no, mid-range you, youths at this you point. need to get somebody who went straight from high school college med school residency and and, and see what their uh, uh life is like because those those people man they are determined they're energetic oh my god i can't interview myself guys i can't oh my god guys. all right oh my gosh Listen, it's been really fun having you guys on, getting uh, your perspective on things. I enjoy following you guys on Twitter a lot. And so it's nice to introduce you to the listening audience. Cody, let's start with you. Can you tell people where to find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at, at Screaming Pectoriloquy, if you can spell it. Uh, if not, if that's too difficult, you can also try Kalimo virus. If you can spell that as well, <laughs> I will leave it to your autocorrect and your search engine assistance uh, to aid you in your endeavors. You got to earn that follow. You got to right. search. And Trisha, what, what about you? Where can people find you? What, what do you want to plug? Um, you can find me in the resident library on the sixth floor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> T Ray Pendergrast. T-R-A-E, Pendergrast. Uh, and Mark, you are, I've said this before on the show. In fact, uh, we have 
for every 140th episode, I think at this point, we're, we're up there. We're in that range. We've played my music for everything in the, in the show, with the exception of playing your song once, because that's how much I love your music. One of the best pound for pound musicians that you will find around. Mark, can you tell people where to find you and where to find your music? Well, funnily enough, I actually don't have much of an online presence when it comes to music. I have my website, which is just markgasway.com, and that's M-A-R-C. Um, and uh, there, there are some links to things online. I, I have uh, my, my first record, which is on vinyl, and that's available on that. But I mean, you can also find me on Spotify and uh, Apple Play and basically any other music source that you want. I, the, the only I am on Twitter but I don't use it really to talk about music. A lot of medicine he talks about. Um, gives a lot of medical advice, oddly enough. Um, and the music is fantastic. I'm being totally objective here. You know, I love Mark like a, a distant brother that you don't see very often. But when you see him, you're like, we should hang out more often. And yeah, the music I don't know how many of your listeners are LA area people, but uh, my uh, my sort of labor of love gig is I'm the music director for uh, Speakeasy Cell Cocktail Bar in downtown LA. Oh, oh it's a great bar, by the way. It's, it's like, even if I didn't work yeah. there, it would still be my favorite. You have bar piqued my interest. I actually are you an LA person. No. no, you're in Gary, Indiana. You're forever <laughs> Gary, Indiana, according to your Twitter page. Actually, that that's uh, me. Oh, that's you. Oh, oh, oh. I'm Gary Jason. So I'm in Listen, Chicago. Dude, anything that's not California or New York is Gary, it's Indiana. Gary Indiana. So I don't, it's yeah, all yeah. Gary Indiana to me. Uh, um, but yeah, no, no, no. Um, it, it's uh, obviously everything got shut down during quarantine, but uh, you know, the music program starting back up in July and, and it's just the place that I go that I get to make music that I really like and I get to hire people that I really like and it fits really great into the atmosphere. It's very romantic and it's one of the, it's, you will never have a better cocktail in your life. Yeah, the place is solid. The place is great. The music is fantastic. In fact, that's the music you're hearing right now in the outro is Mark's music. So please check him. Everyone on this Zoom call is trying to hear what the music is. <laughs> the magic of podcasting people. You have to imagine. You have to actually listen to the episode to hear it. We were both looking around. <laughs> it's... <laughs> oh, it's great. Very minimal. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have all you guys here. Um, it's nice to meet you, Cody. It's nice to have you back on, Trisha and Mark. Thanks, buddy, for coming in literally last minute to, to help me out. If you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at The House of Pod. If you haven't, leave a review on iTunes for our show. And thank you to Nadine for help with production. Uh, stay tuned. We have all kinds of great guests coming up. Bye-bye, everyone. We're still recording. I might use this. <laughs> I think I drove through it once on the way to Chicago. I, I don't know if that's actually the route people take. I, I've no, been... it is. You probably did if you were on 90. Yeah. As someone uh, who's actually near Gary. Midwest regional traffic humor. That's what I want to focus this episode on. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. 
Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.